Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. And it's been a rough week for number 10 Downing Street and those who live there. The dawning of the so-called Freedom Day came with a lot of trepidation as COVID cases rise and fears abound for our national health system. And then, after coming into contact with Health Secretary Sajid Javid, who has tested positive for coronavirus, the Prime Minister and Chancellor initially said that they would not self-isolate. But now they are self-isolating after opposition parties said it suggested there was one rule for them and another for the rest of us. If that's not enough, last Tuesday, Mr Dominic Cummings made another primetime appearance, making some rather strong accusations about the PM in his face-to-face interview with the BBC. I can't think of a time when it was more difficult to be a leader. Now, my purpose tonight is not to make a judgment call about the specific rights and wrongs of all of this, but rather to call us, whatever our opinions and politics, to pray for those who are leading us through these choppiest of waters. The Bible calls us to pray for those in authority. One of the Apostle Paul's very first instructions to his protege, Timothy, was to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You can read it in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, and it's a command, not an option. And then, as we ponder the current war of words, I'd like us to consider how we treat leaders in general and then how we respond to those who lead us in the church world and how we act when we disagree. So, it's leadership, disagreement, prayer on Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. Here's Mariah Peters. We're thinking about the way we treat our leaders I can remember a fateful day in my life when a leader that I served with was on the receiving end of what is a devastating missile, certainly for local church leaders. It was an anonymous letter. The anonymous letter is a frequently used communication technique, believe it or not, in some local churches. Disgruntled and offended parishioners express their irritations to pastors and leaders by dispatching an unsigned epistle. The lack of signature and therefore the hidden identity of the writer gives them the courage, so-called, needed to put the most toxic poison on paper. Scurrilous accusations, inferences and innuendos jostle with each other in the grubby scrawl. The net effect on the recipient is devastating. It's like being hit by a relational exocet that comes screaming in from the dark demolishing in a few seconds your confidence, your sense of calling and hope. Following the horrendous racial abuse suffered by the three black players following the Euro final, there was much talk about the anonymous nature of social networking. The anonymous letter is an old-fashioned version of exactly the same thing, hurling abuse without a signature. And sadly, it's not a new idea. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody received such a poisonous pen letter while actually preaching a sermon. Someone out there in the congregation was apparently feeling highly uncomfortable and so hastily scratched out a note and passed it back to an usher who calmly walked up to the pulpit during the sermon. 
The folded note had Mr. Moody's name written on it, reasoned the hapless usher, so Mr. Moody should receive the note immediately. Moody took the note, unfolded it carefully, and read its brief content. One word was written on the page. Fool. Moody sighed, refolded the note, and made an announcement. I've just been sent a most unusual letter from one of you in the congregation, he said to a fairly shocked crowd. Now, this is most interesting, he continued. I'm often sent letters where people write the body of the letter but just omit their name. But on this occasion, in writing the single word fool, the person concerned has omitted to write the letter itself and has only signed their name. He then proceeded with his sermon. Brilliant. I saw the power of the anonymous letter while Kay and I were working on the staff of a church in Oregon. Having been a well-received part of the team for some 18 months, we'd felt it was time to move on into a wider ministry of itinerant Bible teaching. An announcement was made to the church advising them of our resignation and imminent departure. The letter, an anonymous letter, was sent to the senior minister and all of the deacons, but of course, Kay and I were not sent a copy by the anonymous writer. The letter alleged that the senior minister was jealous of the warm welcome that Kay and I had been shown, was nervous that we were popular, and so had acted to force us to leave. We were, the letter declared with the authority of one that knew, being driven out of town. The senior minister felt a high level of anxiety at this scandalous and totally untrue suggestion, so I asked him to allow me to deal with the problem in my own way. It was our final Sunday in the church, my leaving service, and I was preaching my last sermon. The place was packed. Time for some redemptive fun. Before I conclude, I said, I want to let you know that the senior minister and the deacons of this church have each been sent a copy of a letter, a letter without a signature, which accuses them of treating Kay and me badly and suggesting that we are, and I quote, being driven out of town. I paused. Tension crackled in the air. I looked around at John, the senior minister, who shifted from side to side on his seat on the platform. I continued. I've decided to tell you the unedited truth about the senior minister of this church and the deacons too. Hey, it's my last Sunday here and I've got nothing to lose and I currently have the microphone in hand. So why don't I just go ahead and spill the beans, as it were, on these people? The level of tension rose even higher. I decided to milk the moment. I walked back away from the pulpit and stood beside John. Placing my hand on his shoulder, I said, let me just tell you the unbridled truth about this man. Again, what have I got to lose now? Let's go for broke. John looked up at me with pleading eyes, sweat breaking out now on his forehead. I had to wrap this up, if only to put poor John out of his misery. This man, Pastor John, has done nothing, and I say again nothing, but bless, shower kindness, encouragement, and help upon me, my family and my ministry. He and the deacons of this church have done absolutely everything in their power to help resource and release me. I owe them a great debt. And so to whoever it was who wrote that anonymous letter suggesting some kind of ridiculous conspiracy, I would like to say two things. First, check your facts because you couldn't be more wrong. And second, Next time you sit down to put pen to paper, have the moral courage to sign your name at the bottom of the letter. An unsigned letter is not worthy of the time needed to read it. It's a work of cowardice. Whoever wrote it 
Please hear me say this loud and clear. You need to repent. I sat down and the congregation rose to their feet in what was not a standing ovation for me, but a message of love and endorsement for John and the team of deacons that served with him. I looked at the crowd, whooping and yelling and waving their Bibles, and realized that someone, somewhere out there in the crowd, was the author of the anonymous letter. When we're on social media, when we're writing letters to leaders, to anyone, Let's be careful with our words, lest we bruise and hurt. Be nice to your vicar. Over the years, and because of the miles I've travelled, I've come in contact with a lot of vicars, priests, elders and pastors. I've met selfless, hard-working souls who pour out their lives for their churches and communities, and I've met lazy ministers who would make a sloth look productive. I bumped into breathtakingly gifted entrepreneurs who would have made millions if they hadn't chosen their vocation, and others who are in the ministry mainly because they can't do anything else too well, and they don't do ministry that well either. I've met servant-hearted types whose ideal night out would be to gird up their loins with a towel, grab a bowl, and head for a local foot washing. And I'm sad to say I've met one or two power-hungry bullies who need to be taken behind the bike sheds and shown what bullying really looks and feels like. All right, maybe that's a bit extreme, but a good talking to would be in order. I know, I'm biased because I'm a leader, I'm a pastor, and given the choice between engaging with pleasant, encouraging, smiling souls and those carping critics who make piranhas look like tame goldfish... I'd obviously choose the former, but it's worth thinking about why we should be nice to the women and men who lead us for one simple reason. Encouragement takes thought and strategy and shouldn't just happen because it happens. Here's some reasons to be nice to your local leader and for that matter, to be kind when you communicate with your member of parliament. Often, local Christian leaders frequently take the blame for God. It's true. Christian leaders represent God who is currently invisible and at times seems unavailable, especially when things go horribly wrong in life. And when people get angry with God, unfortunately, there's no customer support line to call. So they frequently take out their frustration on the person they most associate with God, who might be their vicar, pastor, leader or priest. Getting slapped on behalf of the Almighty is not a happy experience. If we're mad with God, let's include a rant in our prayers because he can cope being God. But your local leader, your local church leader, is not quite as resilient. If you think they're thick-skinned and can take it on the chin, you're probably wrong because the reason they got into that vocation is often because they are sensitive souls who genuinely care about people. And being the vicar, when they get mad with God because God's people got mad with them, They have no one to slap, no one human anyway. Often, local church leaders are required to say some things that they prefer not to say. The Bible contains some awkward truths, and if your local leader is going to be faithful in preaching the Bible, they'll have to deal with some tricky passages on sensitive subjects like divorce, war, adultery, sexuality, and brace yourself for the subject that tends to light the blue touch paper whenever it's mentioned money. 
When speaking on those subjects, they're unlikely to please all of the people all of the time, which means they will take some heat. So call them down with some kindness. And when they tackle those controversial issues, they're demonstrating bravery, not bullishness. If they make a statement you disagree with, let it get under your skin, circle your brain, fuel your prayers, and even challenge your heart before you send that vociferous email. Come to think of it, consider cancelling that vociferous email. And if you do send an email of complaint, as I mentioned earlier on the show, put your name on the email. Christian leaders, local leaders, are often the target for gossip. In some churches, Christians don't gossip, they share. Under the guise of sharing, please pray for the pastor, he or she is really struggling right now, we can give the impression that the leader is struggling with faith and is now a fully paid-up member of the Humanist Society, struggling with temptation and has opened their own private harem, or is struggling with anger towards his congregation and is now a serial killer whose crime pattern is striking during the after-church cup of tea while wearing clerical attire. Gossip destroys people. Don't pass it on. And then know that Christian leaders don't have a hotline to God. Some think that their leaders have a VIP pass to the courts of heaven and begin each day with a happy little chat with God. They don't. They too struggle with doubt, unanswered prayer, and when going through wilderness times in their own faith, often have to appear more certain than they are, not because they're faking it, but because it's inappropriate for them to dump their own private struggles on their congregation every Sunday. If you sometimes feel that your prayer life is a struggle, know that they frequently feel the same. These days, I'm more concerned about those who insist that God and they have interference-free conversations than I am about the souls who fear that their connection is patchy at best. And then, Know that Christian leaders, the ones that lead your church, usually don't have a cunning plan for world domination. All right, there are some wolves out there masquerading as shepherds, and there are some power-hungry, authoritarian, clerical control freaks who would be better at leading a fascist regime than a local congregation. Spiritual abuse is a real problem. It does happen, and it's very serious indeed. Some leaders do have a well-proven weapon that efficiently silences anyone with a brain cell who asks awkward questions. They just say that these people are being divisive, an excellent device for manipulation and control. But let's be aware that the vast majority of church leaders are ordinary people. Actually, God only uses ordinary folk. Nothing else is available. And they are simply doing their best to respond to a vocational call to help people to discover Jesus. So go ahead, make their day, and help them out by being nice, especially when you disagree. On this week's program, we've been talking about disagreement, about the way we respond, particularly to church leaders. But as we reflect on all that's been going on in the last week, again, regardless of our political convictions, Let's pray for those who lead our nation and our churches at this difficult time. Father, grant to all leaders everywhere wisdom, grace, the ability to hear from you, the ability to lead in a godly, wholesome way. We pray for those who lead our local churches, 
that as they endeavour to help us to make an impact on our communities for your glory, that you will strengthen, bless and encourage them and use us as part of that process. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. Lucas on Life.